Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to open your word, to be instructed through your word, and just to learn. We ask you to guide and lead as we look at this and let your spirit teach us what you would have us to learn. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 13. Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulation for you, which is for your glory. For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father and for the Lord Jesus Christ. That's all we're going to read. We want to look at this uh, verse. Paul at this time is in in uh, tribulation, he's in a jail, and he's writing to the Ephesians, encouraging them. And he says to them, Wherefore I desire that you faint not at my tribulation. And this is a very, it's not as, it's much stronger than it reads in English. He is basically saying, I beg that you don't faint. That you don't quit. You don't become helpless. You don't become uh, discouraged. And we look at this and we figure, well, what is Paul trying to say? Have you ever looked at somebody's life as a Christian and said, man, if I've got to go through that, God, I don't want to follow you? <laughs> you know, most of us probably seen somebody whose life seems to be very hard as they follow God. Well, we look at Paul, and Paul had a very interesting life uh, as he followed, followed God. In Acts 14, 19, he gets stoned. <laughs> and we don't mean on drugs. <laughs> He gets rocks thrown at him, and it is believed that he died and was resurrected to come back because you don't go underneath a pile of 100, 200 pounds of rocks and come back up and, and live usually. And it is possible he was just you know, greatly hurt, but when he refers to having gone into the third heaven, most people believe that this was the event that he's referring to. And even he goes, I'm not even sure if it was real or just a dream. Uh, you know, while I was, you know, basically saying it might have been a dream or a or an illusion while I was under all these rocks, but he goes, I saw heaven. <laughs> uh, you know, so, he, so he's, been, he's been basically attempted to be killed. In Acts 16, he was beat and thrown in a jail. And in those days, they didn't give you medical care after they beat you. They just beat you, threw you in jail, and if you bled to death, it was so much the better, they didn't have to worry about you. And that was in, in Philippi, where he got to praise God and and, and they had the earthquake, and the Philippian jailer got saved because they didn't run away. Uh, but to get to that Philippian, Philippian jailer, he was beat. And we've talked about this. The beating would have been the same type that Jesus went through with the philagellum and, and chunks of his skin torn off and strips and all that. And then they threw him in jail still bleeding. And they were not clean jails and dungeons that they threw them into. So, and we're not going to go too deeply into that, but you can, if you've ever seen any of the movies with rats running around the, the dungeons, that was what their dungeons were like. Uh, and he's bleeding and all of that, shackle, shackled. In Acts 21, again, Paul is beat. In Acts 25, he's beat. <laughs> and appears before the judges and says, why did you beat me? Because I'm a Roman, which scared them. Um... In Acts 28, it talks about his going to, saying, okay, you beat me now, I want to go to Rome. <laughs> okay. I want to read real quick in Galatians, or excuse me, 2 Corinthians. We just highlighted some of, we'll just read what Paul said to them about his suffering. In verse 23 in, in 2 Corinthians 11, 
Are there ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant. In stripes above measure. Those are the beatings. In prisons more frequent. In deaths oft. For the Jews five times received I forty stripes. My uh, save one. So I got beat thirty nine stripes with the with the whip. Uh, three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was I suffered shipwreck. And a night and a day I've been in the water. In journeys often, in perils of water, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in peril in the sea, in peril in the, against false brothers, in weariness, painless, and watching often, in hungry and th hungry and thirst, and fasting often, in cold and nakedness. Besides those things that are without, there comes upon me daily the care of the churches. This is Paul saying, you know, I'm living a pretty rough life. Okay, and, he's, and his concern was that if people looking at him and saying, I don't want to be a Christian if I have to suffer like Paul. Most of us have never suffered like Paul. Some of us probably have hardly suffered at all. Others have suffered pretty intense things in their life. God tailors our life to each one of us. I am not going to, you're not going to suffer like me. I'm not going to suffer like you. And even, even more bluntly, what may be a great suffering to me and pain, painful to me might not even phase another person. Okay? And we see that with somebody. You know, somebody was sick. You know, there's some people that they get sick and they just say, oh, well, that's just life. And they go on and live. Other people get sick and they moan and groan about it and, you, you know, you'd figure that they were being killed. <laughs> and sometimes you look at them and say, well, what, what's your problem? It's only a sore joint. <laughs> you know? Uh, especially when you, if you're one of those that have every joint sore, <laughs> you know, and you look at these people who are cry, you know, cry about one little, little thing. But the point is, you know, we never know what might be, might be suffering. For some people, if their kids are rebellious, that's going to be a great, great suffering because they're going to look at it and, and you hear it all the time. What did I do wrong? Why are they behaving this way? What could I have done better? It's all my fault that they're acting like, no, it's their fault. They made, they're making decisions. Just help you out on that one if you have a you know, disobedient kid. It's their fault. <laughs> it's not yours. Uh, you know, God tells us to do the best we can, and, and they're still responsible for what, what goes on. And believe me, I went through that when my first kid went off, when my oldest kid went off on his own and, and left, appeared to leave God and did all the bad things. I went through all of that same thing. What did I do wrong? What could I have done better? And to tell you the truth, at that time, I did lots of things wrong. <laughs> I was a workaholic for the first... Uh, 12 years of that kid's life. <laughs> Never saw the kid, hardly. You know, he'd get up in the morning, hi, I'm going to work, and he'd usually be in bed by the time I got back. I made lots of mistakes. But you know what? It's still not my fault, my fault that he does what he did. And I just want to encourage you, if you have any kids like that, you're not responsible for those kids' decisions. You know, if you know you did something wrong, apologize them for, to them for what you did wrong and, and go on. It's their decision their decision to live. Same thing when, when you have somebody that you really love and you're trying to help and they keep making bad decisions. It's their problem. <laughs> you know, and this is why we have to come. And Paul is wanting to make sure you're not looking at me and saying, I'm not going to get saved because I don't want to be shipwrecked. I don't want to be beat. I don't want to go to jail. Okay? And so he's saying, don't faint because of my tribulations. <coughs> and we want to just bring that out because this is important. And we can look around, and every one of us probably knows some Christian who's suffering. suffering. Now, we don't know if they're suffering because of their own decisions. 
And, and this is when we have trouble. When trouble hits our life, the first thing we need to look at is, am I deserving this? Did I do something for this consequence to come? Don't look too deep. Don't try to get crazy and say, well, it's happened because I did this 29 years ago. Uh, you know, did I do something recently that deserves this reaction? If it is, go to God and say, God, I am so sorry. I, I sinned. I, I repent. Please forgive me and suffer your consequences because it's the consequences you deserve. You look at it and say, well, God, I really don't understand why. You know, I can't, you know, I've looked at my life. I don't see any big <laughs> or sin that causes this. Then you just go to God and say, God, give me the grace to be able to endure <laughs> this consequence. Either way, you're going to ask for God's grace to go endure the consequence, <laughs> whether you deserve it <laughs> or you don't deserve it. And this takes us to the whole, the whole idea of, of 1 Corinthians 10.13. And this is one you want to always remember. There is no temptation, we, there is no temptation overtaken us, but such is a common to man but God is faithful who will not tempt us above that which we are, are able and will, with the tempta temptation, provide a way of escape. Satan's first lie, lie to you is, you're the only one that's ever suffered this way. Have you ever been in a place where you felt, I'm the only one? Nobody has ever suffered like I have. Usually when you're in the middle of it, that's how you think. You get to the end of it and realize that other people have done this, gone through it, and been there. Okay? Ecclesiastes, Solomon told us over and over and over and over again, there is nothing new under the sun. You need to drill that into your head when you're being lied to that you're the only one that's ever suffered something or ever is suffering that. There is nothing new under the sun. All the time we get these quote-unquote new religions out there. Well, if you study those new religions, they're just reworded old religions. <laughs> okay, always. There's no new religion out there because every time they introduce a quote-unquote new religion, if you look at it, it is just a reworking of something in the past. Every time there's a temptation, there aren't any new, t new sins and temptations out there. Okay, you know, for, for something like pornography, it used to be pretty hard to get involved with pornography because you had to go certain places to go get the pornography. The only thing that's really changed in our day is that it's much easier to get the pornography. But even that is not new. If you were in the Greek world or the Roman world, pornography was everywhere. Okay, It wasn't sitting on a piece of paper for you to take into your house, but it was in everywhere. It was in statues. It was in everything that you did. It was in the religion. It was in the Greek religions. Okay, It's not new. The delivery is just different. <laughs> so just remember, nothing that you're suffering for or being challenged with is brand new. And the reason I want you to understand that is it makes it a lot easier to ask for help. If you're absolutely convinced that I'm the only one that's ever had to deal with this problem, you're not going to go out and find help because you're going to be so embarrassed that you know, they're going to think I'm really strange. They're really going to think I'm really wicked because nobody else has gone through this. And usually what happens is a Christian will get through it, they'll get over it, they'll start giving their testimony, and everybody will come up and say, I needed to hear that, or you know, I went through that. And, and all of a sudden you realize, I thought I was alone, but I'm not. And I just want to encourage you, never ever let Satan lie to you and let you think that you are the only one suffering in a certain way because you're, it is a lie 
And he likes to separate us. He likes to get, it, get us thinking we are the only one. You know, he'll, he'll take pastors and he'll go, well, you're the only pastor that's ever had that problem. You know, then you start talking to other pastors later on and go find out others have had that problem. And, and we're human. We're just like everybody else. Everybody's got the same problems. But Satan will want to make you feel isolated. And the reason on, I don't know if any of you have watched any kind of nature shows where the predator goes and, and kills an animal in the herd. It doesn't go for the animal in the center of the herd. It goes for the straggling animal, the animal that's away from the herd. Because even the most passive animal, if they really get wild, can, can hurt the predator. Uh, you know, you can see oxen every once in a while that will chase a predator away because five or six of them will charge the predator. And the predator doesn't know what to do when it becomes the hunted. Uh, and Satan is like that. He's looking for those that are off by themselves. I am isolated. I am alone. Which is another reason why we get together as the body of Christ. We get together as the body of Christ so we can encourage one another. Let, you, let each other know we're not alone. Because Satan loves that person who's sitting there. Well, I can worship God just sitting in my room. You know, I do a good job just worshiping God. In my time, if I, in time I've seen that, maybe they're worshiping for a couple weeks, months, maybe a year, but they're going to stop. They're going to feel isolated. They're going to feel that they don't need it anymore. It's important. It's important to gather in the body of Christ. Doesn't have to be this one. It could be any other body of Christ. It could be just gathering together in groups of three, four, five. The early church grabbed, you know, gathered in homes because of the persecution. And there's going to come a day when we are going to be gathering in homes because of the persecution. Where, where it won't be, you know, it'll be park your car half a mile away so they don't know that you're coming to my house. And you, you know, this is what goes on in the underground church around the world. They walk half mile to a mile because you've got too many cars near somebody's house. They're going, what's going on at that house? And we want to be able to say, we need one another. And I keep stressing that we need one another. I need the church. I need, I need people. I need to hear that people are growing. I need to hear that people are learning. I love it when people come, I've been reading the Bible, and this is what I learned, or this is what I read. Or even, I'm up to date on the Bible reading, and you know, it's been great. I've learned so much without telling me specifics. But you know, it's important. For a leader, I like hearing it because I, know, I like to know that people are growing spiritually. For each one of you, you need to share with one another as well God's blessing. And we've shared this over and over. It's one thing to read the Bible and see what God did 2,000, 6,000 years ago. It's, it's, a, it's good to be reading biographies about missionaries and see what God did 50, 100, 200, depending on how old the biography you're reading. But isn't it greater to know when you see and say, this is what God has done for me? I think it is. I think it's really important that this is what God's doing not 100 years ago, not 2,000 years ago, but this is what he's done in the last year, the last day, the last month. It is wonderful. You know, we went to the celebration of churches yesterday. And there were at least three different people that bragged on this church. <laughs> All right. Two of them for very recent times since I've been here, and one from way back at Pastor Reeves' time. Okay, but this church was bragged on by a number of people at the celebration of churches. You know how good that makes you make us all feel? 
because this is us. This is us being the church in chloride. And it's important. It's important for us to know that our testimony is out there encouraging other churches. Our little tiny church, 20 people, <laughs> encouraging people other places. We're on the internet reaching, well, last month because of all the, you know, low because it was so much that I wasn't here for being sick, but, you know, reading, reaching 800,000 people. We don't know the impact that our little church of 20 people <laughs> reaching the world. You know, it's an amazing thing. We're going to get to heaven and God's going to say, this is your reward because you did <laughs> the internet. This is the reward because you were loving to these people that came in and they talked to other churches and encouraged them and, and they changed because of the testimony from, given from there. We need each other. We need to stand strong. We need to share what we learn and what, we, what, we, what, what is happening. Because I can tell you, I love, you know, I teach all the time and it's, I don't want to feel like I'm just giving you a bunch of information that nobody cares about. I love it when I get people saying, that was really good or I learned, I learned this or this tied into what I read this last week. That's the best testimony. That I teach something and you go, wow, I, I learned that last week or I heard this last week or I read this. Because that says that you're learning just beyond anything else. And the greatest blessing I have seen is so much growth in this church from spiritual, spiritual growth. You know, people like Annie and Loretta, who have been Christians for a long time, coming up and saying, I've learned so much that I never knew. You know, if you're younger, take advantage of that. Don't, don't wait till you're, you know, right. you're uh, older. Uh, uh, <laughs> I almost said it wrong. <laughs> but you understand what I'm saying. It's, you know, it's something that you want to grab hold of at the youngest age you can grab hold of this. Because it, when you get hold of God's word, it'll really change every aspect of your life. You're never too old to learn and have your life changed. But just think the younger you are when you grab hold of it, the better. Which is why I encourage each one of us, do you have grandchildren? Do you have nieces? Do you have nephews? Young ones, get it into them. Get them encouraged to be part of a church. Get them encouraged to be in the Bible. Because they need to learn at a very young age so that they'll have their whole life to be able to share God to others with. So we look at this and... and the, the part of the verse that I just quoted is that God is our defender. He is our escape. He says there is a way of escape. And it says that Overtaking us but common to man, but God is faithful who will not let us be suffered above that which we are able to withstand. The only way we're going to withstand the temptation is to hide in God. Every temptation is designed to bring you to your breaking point in your flesh. And whatever your temptation is, whatever it is, <laughs> the temptation that God allows to come your way is one that takes you right to that edge. And if you want to stand in your own strength, you will go over the edge. That is what the temptation is designed. Are you going to trust God? Because no good works that we do in the flesh will stand with God. So if we, he is going to make sure that that temptation is great and strong enough to take you over the edge. All of us have fallen over the edge on some temptation many times, many times per week sometimes, many times per day. But God is saying, I'm here. I'm your answer. I, if you would have just turned to me, <laughs> you know, if you would have just hidden in me, we're doing the Psalms class, and in the Psalms class it keeps going, 
I am your I am a God God is my tower. He's my strong tower. He's my fortress. He's my buckler. He's he's my strong defense. God is the way we get through any temptation. When people say I don't need a crutch to get by, you know, I don't know if you've ever witnessed you know, to people, I don't need that religion crutch. Well, you do, but you don't know it yet. <laughs> I have no problem saying God is my defense. He's my protection. He's my crutch, if you want to say. When I'm tempted, I'm going to run into that tower. And the words that David uses on that is the same for the, the time that he lived. You had a city, and then every few miles, you would have a fortified tower. Because if you, the enemy came over the horizon, you might not have time to get into the city. And if you didn't have time to get into the city, you ran into the tower, you locked the doors, and little slits so nobody could get in and you just stayed in the tower. <laughs> that is who God says I am. I'm your tower. I'm there really close. All you've got to do is run to him. And if you think about this, if you had an enemy coming after you, and I mean a real enemy, you would go seek shelter. You would go she, she, seek <laughs> protection. <laughs> We're in a battle. We're in a spiritual battle against a real enemy, even though we can't see the enemy. Satan in the demonic world is our enemy. We need to be ready to say, he shows up, I'm hiding. <laughs> I'm getting undercover. Because that's what we do in a real war. If we were at war in this country, and you saw the enemy marching, you know, driving up Old Chloride Road, <laughs> you're not going to go stand in the middle of there and say, here I am! <laughs> you're going to hide. You know, you'd be up in the mountains, you'd be <laughs> anywhere, you know, away hiding. We need to keep that mindset in the spiritual world. God is our shelter. The enemy can pound on God all they want and they're not going to be successful when we're hiding in him. So remember, he is that, he is that protection. He is that coverage. And he is the, the rest that we, that we need. Philippians 4.13 says, I can do all things through Christ, through, through Christ who strengthens me. You want to get this fact in there in through Christ who strengthens me. A lot of people want to leave that part out. I can do all things. Good luck. <laughs> you know, I can do a lot of things, maybe, to a degree. But Satan knows my weaknesses as much as, as, much as God does. And the crazy thing about us humans is sometimes we forget that we have weaknesses. You know, uh, I, I ignore my weaknesses and, and then get myself in a position where my weakness is facing me straight in the face. And, and even then you might say, well, I still don't have any weakness. And then you end up falling. Be aware of the areas that you're weak spiritually. Pray about them. Ask God. Know that you, know that you need to hide for it. There are many people that have what's called besetting sins. When that sin comes in front of their face, they fall flat on their face. For some, it may be alcohol. For some, it may be drugs. For some, it might be pornography. For some, it might be the inability to tell the truth. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever met somebody who just has a hard time telling the truth. You know, pathological liars, they just have to lie. You, know, you ask them, is the sun up? Nope, it's not up. <laughs> 10 o'clock in the afternoon, but it's not up. You know, well, looks like it's up. Well, you're, 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 you know, maybe not that bad, but we know how, you know, you know how they are. You, know, you ask them a question that's obvious. They're not even going to get into trouble for answering it correctly, and they'll still lie to you. All of us have certain sins in our life that are that way. We just 
without God fall. This is why it's important for us to be in his word, be in, be in fellowship with him, and asking him for his protection. God, I need your help. Now, for some people that are very independent type people, that's a hard prayer to say, isn't it? You know, some people have no problem with a God. <laughs> they know they need God's help. Others who are very strong-willed and, and independent people, they have trouble with that prayer. God, I need your help. I don't know why they have trouble, I, but I know that I've had times in my life when I've had trouble saying, God, I need your help. It is important for us to be able to say, understand, I can do all things through Christ. In Romans 14.4, we're going to do a lot of touring around here for a little bit because I, want, I really want to bring this out. Romans 14.4, Now to him that works is the reward not reckoned of grace, out of, but of debt, but to him that works not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Again, it's God. <laughs> it's God. If I do it in myself, it works. And Isaiah 64, 60, 64, 6 tells us that all our righteousness is filthy rags in front of God. Do you catch the importance of that? Anything good that I think I can do, God looks at it and says, well, thank you for the stinking filthy rags. <laughs> Now, and the word, in, the word in the Hebrew talks about medical rags covered with blood and, and infection. You know, and we're saying, God, here's all my good works. <laughs> you know, I hope you like them. <laughs> we are to live in a state of rest. Faith rests with God. He does the works. All we have to do is rest. This is the beauty of Christianity. And we've talked about this over and over. Every religion out there, and I do not count Christianity as a religion. Christianity is a relationship with God. Every religion is man-made rules on how to please the deity or, or their God. And the idea that if I do enough good things, this deity up there who is really mean and really wanting to punish us will accept us. That is not the God of Christianity. We have a God that loves us so much that he sent his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. He knew that we could never please him. This is the difference about Christianity. He knew that we could never fulfill his righteous, holy demands. And he sent Jesus so that we could be saved, be forgiven, Always keep this in mind. Whenever, whenever you meet somebody who goes, well, it's all about just doing good things. No, good things. There are going to be a lot of good people in hell. They will. Because if they don't know Jesus, that's where they're going. And they might be a very, very, very good person. Give you the shirt off their back. Give you everything out of their house. You need a car that hand you the keys of the car. I mean, they might be the best, nicest people. But if they don't know Jesus... They're going to hell. And we need to keep that in mind. Because sometimes we look at somebody and say, oh, they're pretty good. They must know God. Not necessarily. I've known a lot of people that are pretty good people that are going to hell. Jesus knew, came in contact with lots of people that were pretty good people. Sadducees, Pharisees, scribes, <laughs> followed the letters of the law. Some of them were really honest, 
people trying to follow the law. And they were headed to hell. And you know the flip side of that is? There's going to be some bad people in heaven. You know, bad people because all they had to do was ask Jesus to come into their heart and they'll be, they'll be in heaven. Now if they've lived long enough they should have cleaned up their life but that's not the requirement. It's not works. So, and we said this over and over again. We're, there's, there's two things you're going to be surprised about in heaven. Those who, are, who aren't there and those who are there. You know, there may be pastors in some churches that aren't going to be in heaven because they don't know Jesus. And I know that's hard for you to understand unless you've been around to enough churches in your lifetime. I have met pastors that don't seem to know God. They might even know the Bible real well and be adequate teachers but don't know that you only go to heaven by the blood of Christ. It is critical that we teach and share with each other the blood of Christ was shown to was shed so that we could have our sins covered and be able to accept him and go to heaven. And then all we do is rest. That doesn't mean we don't do anything, but we let God work through us. And that is how we get our rewards. We let him work through us. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In this verse it says, I rest. 2 Corinthians 3. I meant to mark these this morning. <laughs> 3 verse 6. Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. But if administration of death written engraved in stones was glorious, so that the children of Israel could not steadily behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away with. God is the one that makes us able to do stuff you know because I don't know I don't know how many of you share the gospel but it's amazing to start sharing the gospel and have God take over you know you start talking and and before long you're you're speaking things you never even planned on speaking or even knew that you knew sometimes uh, sometimes a teacher will have this happen they've studied all week and they're teaching and all of a sudden God takes over <laughs> and it's a totally different message but it is amazing to go out and talk with somebody and then see that the Spirit is giving you the words. Jesus told the disciples, don't worry about what to say. Now that didn't mean don't study, don't, don't you know, educate yourself, but it said, he, the Spirit, will fill our mouths. And it is true. When you're sharing the gospel with people, the Spirit will start filling your mouth. And if you don't believe me, start doing it. Get past, get past the scared part and start doing it, and you're going to see God working through you speaking to other people. It's amazing. It's amazing how it happens. It is amazing. And I'm not the most outgoing person in the world when it comes to going out and witnessing. I'm going to tell you that right off. But I've learned at times to open my mouth and speak and then watch God take over. And he does. And he does. And it's important for us to know that. So we just want to look. Everything about this is a walk with God. 2 Corinthians 9, verse 8 says, And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that you, always having all sufficiency in all things, may abound into every good work. It's his grace. <laughs> and it abounds to us. And this word isn't just abound. It is exceedingly abounding. 
super overflowing abounding. <laughs> he pours his grace on us so much that it keeps flowing. <laughs> it just doesn't flow on, into us. It overflows and splashes on everybody that we come around. His grace. And what is grace? Unmerited favor. It is getting what I don't deserve. All the blessings of God, being part of his family, getting his blessings, getting his, the spirit living in us. Grace. He gives us so much grace. And as we talked about a couple weeks ago, we then are to give that grace out to others. If I have been so filled with grace, it should move me to show others grace. I've seen a lot of times, though, where people won't give grace. Greatest example is the parable that Jesus told about the man who owed, who owed the king, you know, what we would say billions or trillions of dollars. The king forgave him, and he went out and found somebody that owed him maybe a week's worth of pay and threw him in jail. You know, that is not the way you're, you should react when you've been shown grace. You should go out and say, okay, I've, I've been forgiven trillions. I can forgive you, you know, the, the thousand or whatever, you know, whatever. This is what God is trying to teach us. We are overabundant grace poured on us. We're to give grace. We're to give grace to one another. We're to live in that faith rest. You know, and I've told you over and over, the Christian life is the easiest life to live. Because I don't have to do anything. I let God fill me. He pours out of me. All I've got to do is let him use me to pour out of me. And then, he, and then he gives us the reward for him doing the work. You know, God's plan is so different from the world's, isn't it? You know, we let him do the work, and then he gives us the reward. That would be like me going to the job and saying, okay, I'm going to send this person to go do the work, and, you're, and they're going to give me the check. You know, that wouldn't happen in the, in the world, would it? <laughs> but that is God's way of doing things. He does the work, and then he, he gives us the check. So I just want to share, you know, remember always, God is our strength, our protection. He is our rest. We need to rest in, in him. And I'm running out of time. One verse and I ran out of time. Real quick, if you've taken any notes, I'm going to give you some verses on, on just on rest. Exodus 33:14 says that God gave the Israelites rest. And he did. If you read through Exodus, you'll find God giving them rest all over the place. Psalm 23, 2. The Lord is my shepherd song. He says, he makes me to lay down in green pastures. If we let him, he gives us rest. He makes us lay down. Psalm 116, 7 tells us that God makes us rest. Give a pattern here. God gives rest. Isaiah 14, 3. He will give us rest. In Isaiah 28, 12, and 13, we are to rest because of his word, which again is why I tell us we need to read his word because that's where our mind is changed so that we can rest in him. Isaiah 30, 15, he, we are to rest. Matthew eleven twenty nine, Jesus says, Take my yoke upon me because my yoke is easy. He takes the burden upon himself and gives us the easy side where all we do is rest and follow him. And the last one that I wanted to bring out was Hebrews 4, 2 and 3. The believers shall enter into rest. God wants us to rest. 
He does not want us freaking out, struggling, trying to figure out how I can serve God because I can't serve God. All I can do is say, God, come into me, fill me, and come out of me. And that is where I serve God. And when I'm serving God that way, it is so restful. All I've got to do is let him, let him lead and listen to his voice, start speaking, and he fills my mouth with words. Go, go out there and serve somebody, and he'll, he'll give the strength to do the service. Christian life is an easy life. If you're thinking that Christianity is a hard struggle, learn to rest. <laughs> learn, to tr- learn to hide in Christ. Learn to rest. If you have a family member that you're desperately wanting to see, see saved, I'm not saying totally shut your mouth, but rest. Pray for that person. If God gives you a divine appointment, opens the door, take it. But if you're praying for, for your family member, God will put somebody in their life. God will put somebody in their life. There's nobody that's going to stand before God that can say to God, I never knew, I never heard the message. Some way, somehow, God is going to show everybody. Everybody has their conscience. They know that they're sinners. They know they deserve punishment. And they know they, they need God. So I just want to encourage us, learn to rest. That doesn't mean, like I said, that doesn't mean don't do anything, but it just learn to rest in God, and he'll, he'll direct. And it's so important. That faith rest is so important to just say, God, I am going to rest in you. You are my, you are my protector. You are my keeper. Learn to share the gospel. We've talked about this so often. The gospel is so simple. You can give it in 30 seconds. We're all lost sin. Uh, we've all done sin. We've all, we all deserve hell. Jesus came to pay for the price. So you need to do except Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now, I get it down to about 15 seconds of just, just to be able to say it. Now, when you're talking to somebody, you might want to give a little longer than that and, and make sure they understand that they, are, they have sinned, that they you know, get their agreement. But do you understand how simple the gospel is? If you can't share that gospel, I mean, you could, you could be the crazy new Christian, you know, sharing those few words 13 seconds with, you know, 30 seconds with everybody you come across. And you know, the problem is that most of us have lost the enthusiasm we might have hopefully had when we were a, a new Christian. The hardest and strangest thing is when we're new Christians, we're excited, we don't know anything, we're not worried about anybody asking us any question we don't know, and we just share the gospel with everybody we meet. And usually it's too harsh. You know, mom and dad, if you don't get saved, you're going to hell. <laughs> you know, that's not really an effective message. But, they, but you know, if you've been around a new Christian, that's how they are. And then when we start learning something about God, we start thinking about all the things that might ask us that we don't know, and we start getting timid, and we start cooling off in our faith. We start getting to the place where we don't share it at all with people. We need to get back to that hot relationship with God where we are willing to share the gospel even if people think we're strange and, and, and insane, because we are. And we're, as far as the world's concerned, we are strange and insane because we follow God. So we want to get to that place where we share the gospel. Share the message. It's a simple message. And then ask them if they want to know God, if they want to ask Jesus in their heart. You know, don't be the bad salesman who gets them ready to say the prayer and then walks away. <laughs> you know, hey, do you, want, do, you want, do you want me to say your condition? You know, you're all ready to sign the line and then off to the next... <laughs> Next house to sell an air conditioning. You know, never ask, you know, do you really do you want it and will you sign the line? But so many people, when they share Christ, that's what they do. You know, you're a lost sinner, you deserve hell, Jesus died for you. Do you want to, you've got to accept him and go to the next person. You know, do you want to know him is the next, is, would be the next question. Do you want to know him? 
and then have them just say the prayer. Very simple. All right, let's close. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the fact that all we've got to do is rest. You care for us. You love us. You want to empower us. You want to protect us. You want the Holy Spirit filling us so full that he overflows out of our life. Help us to get that excitement back, that fire and that fervency for you. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.